Father, we thank you that we have this time again to come together to remember our mothers and all that they do for us uh, through this Sunday, but uh, even more importantly, remember you and all that you did for us on this communion Sunday is remember your body and the blood that you sacrificed for us. And I pray that we would always keep that on the forefront of our mind, uh, even on a wonderful day like today. And we just thank you and praise you. Uh, for everything that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we'll be taking a look mainly at verses 4 and verses 19, looking specifically at the path. So let's just read those, starting with verse 1 to 3. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And so then you get to later on in verse 18, where Jesus then is uh, telling the disciples what the parable means, because they ask him, as we looked at last month, and I'm sure you all remember. So, I'm just kidding. So, verse 18 to 19, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When he, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so we're going to be taking a close look at these two verses to see what are the characteristics of the path. And so if you recall, Jesus has now transitioned his ministry into teaching in parables. If you remember, um, the disciples asked him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? So they note the difference in the way he talks to them. And if you remember... Uh, he quotes Isaiah, but basically Jesus speaks in parables to do two things. To reveal truths, um, the truths that are hidden for those who love him and acknowledge him. Um, there will be more truths revealed through those parables. Um, he says, for the one who has, more will be given. Uh, and earlier says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So, those who know and have accepted Christ, they will have further truths revealed through those parables. But on the flip side, for those who have rejected the Christ, uh, it is to conceal the truths. And even those truths that they had will be taken away. When you look at this parable, uh, there's three major things that we have to think about. The first one is the seed and so the seed here is the Word of God. And it's important to remember that the power of the plant comes from the seed. And so the seed is the Word of God. And we know this, uh, you could look at verse 19 there. When anyone hears, uh, you hear the Word uh, of the Kingdom of Heaven. Um, but also in Mark, it says a sower sows the Word. And in Luke, he gets right to the point, which is uh, the most condensed version of this parable. It says, the seed is the word of God. And so, when you are thinking about what is the seed, it's important to think about the seed being the word of God. Uh, or you could think about it as well as part of that being the gospel. 
um, but really all of the word of God. So that's the seed, and then you have the sower. It's not really specified who the sower is uh, in any of the Gospels. Uh, at the moment, it w- could be seen as Jesus, who is the ultimate sower of the word, who is the word. Uh, but it's better to see this as anyone who is proclaiming the word. Um, simply put, this can be you, this can be the preacher, this can be the evangelist, right? The person going out and um, planting the seed, as we say. Uh, you can think of this in 1 Corinthians 3.6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he's using kind of that same analogy of throwing the seed. And so the sower is anyone who is sharing the gospel, or sharing the word of God. We need to take note on two things. First, the, the seed and the sower. The big thing here is that they don't change. Uh, there is no variance in the seed. It is the seed. Uh, the same seed that is cast on the path is also on the rocky ground, is also on the good soil. Um, it doesn't change. There's not different kinds of seeds. Um, same with the sower. There is isn't different kinds of sower. The sower doesn't throw things at a different rate. Uh, the only thing that changes within the parable is where the seed is placed or where it is thrown to. Which brings us to the last thing, which is the soil. And so the soil represents in the parable man's heart. And when he's thinking about this, Jesus was both looking at and explaining to his disciples the different kinds of people who would hear the word of God. Uh, And he points to four different kinds of people. This is important because as the disciples go out to preach the good news, they're going to come across these people and they're going to wonder, why isn't that they didn't accept the good news? And Jesus is basically explaining to them them very early on why. Why? First of all, you have the path, which we're looking at today, which could be seen as uh, religious leaders, um, those who are unresponsive to the gospel completely. Uh, Then you have those who liked the miracles. Those are those on rocky ground. They're kind of superficial, if you will. Some were like the rich young ruler who are in the weeds, uh, couldn't let go of their worldly possessions. And then finally, You have some who loved regardless of the cost. Uh, That was the good soil, the ones who were receptive to the word. When you're looking at the soil and thinking about the soil, it's important that we note that it is their condition and not their composition. Um, We have a condition of being in sin. Um, And so... In tandem, remembering that all people are ultimately hardened against God. Uh, you can see that in Romans 3, that we have all turned aside. We're going our own way. Uh, but it is our condition, right? I only say that because all people can be redeemed. As we're looking at this, we need to remember that even the paths can be turned into good soil. And so we never want to look at someone and just say, well, that is 
who they are and that's who they will always be um, because God can turn that hard soil into good soil. And so we need to keep that uh, in the back of our mind. Actually, if you go to John 6, 3, or John, yeah, 6, 37, John six thirty seven. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And it's important to remember that, that those who come to Christ, who are seeking repentance, uh, they will be granted that repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The question is, will they do it? So that's kind of the introduction. Again, you have the seed, which is the word of God, the sower, who is really anyone who is sharing the word of God, and then you have the soil, which represents man's heart. The first point I want to make is the path is continually hardened. Uh, Taking a look at specifically, again, at verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown Um, in his heart. Uh, This is what was sown along the path. In Luke, it specifically says that the path gets trampled uh, underfoot. That's Luke 8, 5. And so, it's this idea of continually being hardened. It gets trampled. And all of us have probably walked on a path. Uh, They're helpful if you're walking through the woods. Um, But they're helpful because they're always hard. Plants don't grow there because they're always being walked on. And then that is what it is like to be on the path. Even if a seed falls there, they get trampled so much that nothing can grow there. It's too hard. Uh, The seed can never penetrate the soil. And when you're thinking about the path, it's uh, a nice illustration for us because we live in a farm town. We actually understand these things um, when people are spreading seeds around here. There is a path, and that path undoubtedly won't grow stuff because it is always getting run over. In this case, it's probably by trucks. And so the analogy is different, but it's kind of nice because as we go through the seasons, hopefully you remember the path. Hopefully you remember the rocky grounds, and you see them around you, and you think about those people, and hopefully go and witness to those people. So the farming was admittedly different there, but at least it's a good analogy for us today because we understand it to some degree. So it says this is what was sown, and this is actually a little bit uh, difficult for some people to interpret. This specific uh, phrase here will be different in different versions. It's best to be see, see the seed as the person. And so in the ESV it says... Uh, This is what was sown, uh, but the New King James says this is he who received uh, seed by the wayside, or the NASB says this is the one whom the seed was sown on the road. It's just important to see that um, the seed is being planted in the person who is the path, uh, because he's specifically referring to the person. Um, so, it's best to see this as this is the one who was sown along the path. When you're thinking about this, the path being continually hardened, 
It's important to note that the Word of God really either hardens or softens you. Uh, I like what Ironside wrote. He said, The very same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. And so the very same gospel message which breaks down the honest hearts and leads to repentance hardens the hearts of the dishonest and confirms them in their path of disobedience. And so, again, when you look out into the world, you have a verse maybe that you love and someone else who is an unbeliever may look at that and say, I don't like that verse. And you say, well, why? Well, I like that analogy. The same sun that softens uh, the wax hardens the clay as well. So the path is continually being hardened. That is the first problem. And then the second one follows uh, really closely along with that, is the path is hard. That is the result of that. Uh, It just says the seed fell along the path. And just notice that it never penetrates. It can never get into. It just falls along the path. It just lays on top. And most of us probably have tried to plant seeds at some point in time. And we know what happens when you just throw seeds along uh, a place and never let it sink in. The birds come and take it away, and then you have to go throw more on, and then the birds take it away, and then you have to go throw more on, and so on and so forth, and it didn't change there as well. But the ultimate problem with this is sin. This is what caused the hardening of the heart. Uh, And for this, we need to turn to Romans, actually. Romans 1. Eighteen through twenty, I'll read that. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. For this is his invisible attributes, namely his internal, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So again, we're looking at the problem of this hard heart and that we're looking at sin and it kind of points to the first really big sin and that is that they are suppressing the truth in verse uh, 18 there. When you're thinking about suppressing the truth, it's not that they just are unaware of it, though they are, and it's not that they're just blindly walking and truth never comes their way. Uh, it's an active. They are suppressing the truth. They don't want to know the truth. Uh, and in saying that, just after verse 18, after saying they suppress the truth, he specifically points out that uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So God has revealed it to them, and yet they suppress what God has revealed. They suppress the truth. And because of that, God gives them up. We see this in the following verses, and he gives them over to sin. Uh, looking at verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him, 
as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts and purity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves. If you go to verse 26 as well, he gave them over to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations. Verse 28, the sin continues and the sin continues, right? They saw... God, God revealed himself to them. They suppressed the truth. And when they did that, their hearts became hardened and continually hardened. And ultimately, they fall into more and more and more and more sin. Um, But it's very interesting because when you look at these verses, one of the things that kind of came out to me is, right, you have the suppressing of the truth even though it was clearly perceived. And then verse 24, therefore God gave them up in their lusts. And then you have 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. And so you see that repeated three times in that short verse. So they see God revealed. They reject and suppress that truth even though it is clearly perceived, they fall into sin, and at the same time, God lets them fall into that sin as well. Ultimately, it ends in verse 32, though they they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Uh, And that is the way of sin, and you can clearly see that throughout uh, America and the world at large today. Not only doing those things, but approving of them as well. It was actually kind of interesting. Uh, There was an illustration by uh, James Montgomery Boyce all the way in 2001. He says, some years ago I heard a conversation between two women in which... One asked the other, why is America in such a declining moral state? Her friend replied, because people love sin. That was all the way in 2001. A lot has changed in 20 years. People love sin, and because of that, their heart gets continually more and more and more hardened against the truth. And the result, again, of that sin is going to be a hard heart. Uh, This is the path. Those who are unresponsive to the gospel. And when I was thinking about, uh, specifically, I guess, our area in America today, I see a lot of paths, so to speak. A lot of people are just straight up unresponsive to the gospel. Uh, Throughout history, you have a lot of people who will at least acknowledge there's a God. Um, They just have the wrong... uh, God, so to speak, small g. Um, today, we have a problem of people just not even acknowledging there is a God uh, who say there is no God. And the problem is he is the fool, right? Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It is the person who says they want nothing to do with God. And so the problem with that or usually the reason they don't want that is because they don't want a God to rule their life. They'll say something like, 
I don't want a person up in the sky telling me what I should and should not do. Uh, They don't like God's rule. They want to rule their own life. And so when you go, let's turn to James 4. 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. That's humbling. And 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so whoever knows what is right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so when you're thinking about your life, there's really two outcomes. Either you can lean on God or you can lean on your own. And that's kind of what this verse is pointing to. The first person, right, verse 13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such. And so, it is not that James is telling us to have poor business skills, not to make plans with our life. The idea is the heart. It is the person who is making these decisions all on his own. In a sense, he wants to rule his own life when it comes to his business. Uh, They relied on themselves. And later in verse 16, right, all such boasting is evil. God should have glory and control in all things in your life. Rather, we should be like the man who says, if the Lord wills. Um, The idea is putting the emphasis where it needs to be, on the Lord. It is what God wants, not what I want. So it is, right, giving in to God's sovereign rule really, over our lives. We want to give all things over to God, whether it's our business, whether it's our family, uh, our whole life. And that is what the world exactly doesn't want to do. They want to do things their own way. Really, it is God's sovereignty that they probably have the hardest time with. So, in the end, follow the Lord's will, not your own will. Be those who are actively seeking out the Lord, like those in verse 15. If the Lord wills, should be something that commonly comes out of your mouth, not every once in a while, and not just in the big things as well, in the little things. And the thing is, I was thinking about this, it's one of those, you know, we say, follow the Lord's will, and when you say that, how do you know if you are following the Lord's will? Uh, And I was kind of contemplating that. And I guess for the moment, the best I can come up with is Matthew 5, 16. Uh, This is, again, talking about salt and light. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, If people see your good works and give glory to God, I think then you are giving glory to God in all that you do and following his will. The idea is when people no longer see you um, 
Well, when they see you, they no longer see you. They see Christ in you. Uh, that when they see you, all they can think about is that you are a Christian who is walking in faith. Uh, and when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, that's really the goal of a preacher, uh, often misunderstood. Uh, as I'm preaching today, I don't want you to be thinking about Caden and it's just a good talk. I want you to be thinking about the Word of God, so much so that you forget that it is Caden who is speaking. It is, right, the Word of God, that you are hearing the truths and you're so contemplating on those truths that you forget about everything else. Uh, that is kind of the goal of the preacher, to point to Christ and Him crucified and not ourselves. Sadly, I think often the preacher is praised more than who he is supposed to be praising. <clears throat> but in all things you do, do for the glory of God. We hear that all the time. And you can measure that by seeing who your life points to. Your co-workers, your family. When they look at you, who do they say you look like? Do you look like yourself or do you look like Christ who is in you? <clears throat> John 3.30, right? He must increase and I must decrease. So the path is hardened or continually hardened. It gets trampled underfoot. leads to the path being hard, uh, that the seed cannot penetrate. And because of that, it ends up being vulnerable. Um, It says the seed is devoured by birds. And actually that word devoured is in all three Gospels. That word is to eat up or to eat until it is finished. Uh, There's nothing left. Whatever falls on the path, the birds come and they take it all away. That is, again, because the hard heart, it has insulated itself from the word of God. And basically the devil is capitalizing on the situation. Uh, The seed is snatched away, it says specifically, by the evil one. And you say, how? What does that look like? What does it look like to have the evil one snatch away the word of God? And I actually came up with, there's three that was pointed out to me in a commentary. And these are three, I think, big ways that the God, or that the devil uses to snatch away um, the word. And the first major one throughout all the history of church, our church history, as we're taking a look at, is really false teachers. Um, False teachers who come in and promote spiritual lies that contradict the word of God, even though at times they'll use in the wrong way the word of God. Um, False teachers are probably the biggest one, especially today, um, because they hide themselves very well. seems like every week I run into someone else who is preaching a false gospel in the world today. The second one is pride, blinding the person to even see their need for a savior. Um, pride is a huge one. And the last one would be deceit. Uh, this one is also huge in the world today. Uh, people being deceived to make them think that they aren't that bad. Um, that surely God wouldn't punish them for the little sins that they do. Um, but we know that he is a holy God, right? And he is going to judge without holiness. It can be seen really as anything that detracts from the truth of God. Now that is 
how the devil snatches away anything that can distract. Uh, and God said this would happen, or Christ did, in verse 13, 12, or chapter 13, verse 12, even what they have will be taken away. And uh, we see that through the path. So in conclusion, <clears throat> we're taking a kind of deep look at the path, right? Specifically that person, the person who is unresponsive to the to the gospel. Uh, and it's kind of sad. It's very sad because we know those people. Um, but ultimately, we need to remember that God can turn the hard path into good soil. I already said it, but we need to keep that in the back of our mind. Uh, every person can be redeemed. And actually, if we just go back a little bit to Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Um, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Uh, there's no one more heavy laden than the path, the person who has been hardened due to sin. And so, keep that in the back of your mind. Be those, be the sower. Sow the seed and remember who's going to do the work. It is God who gives the growth. Um, and so, with that, we will close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to take a deep look at the path. Uh, we know there are many people who are have a hard heart towards your word, towards your gospel, who are unresponsive to it. And we know many friends and family uh, in that situation. And we thank you that we have this ability to take a hard look at it um, so that we can be more informed in how we should preach the good news to them, uh, how we can pray for those people, again, share the word with those people so that they, so that hard heart, uh, that heart of clay can be as soft as wax. And so I pray that as we go out through the world, today, we would be considering those people uh, and how we can witness to those people uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.